Welcome to the Writer's Block. I'm your host, Jennifer Harris, indie author and blogger based here in St. Louis, Missouri. Here on the Writer's Block, we talk shop, have genre discussions, talk about writing strategies with the goal to encourage and uplift. The goal is always to keep you writing. The Writer's Block serves as a platform for indie authors and St. Louis local writers to keep you hip to what they're up to. Grab your pen and paper. We're about to circle the block. Hello, 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 dear ones. Once more, yet again, and still, this is Jen Harris, your hostess extraordinaire for this special edition of the Writer's Block. I am so excited to have our, this author on this, sh- on this particular show. His name is Sintel Smith. The book you need to get from Amazon and Kindle and read immediately is called Call Numbers. And it is currently available on Amazon and Kindle. I met this young man through the ever popular and growing Facebook group, uh, Big Black Chapters, which is run by the dynamic Tiffany Richardson and Raquel DeLimos. So without further ado, I want to introduce you all to the freelance writer and indie author himself, Sintel Smith. Good evening, sir. Good evening, good evening. Hello out there. Awesome. I'm so glad that you you made time to talk to me today. I'm so, so excited. So before before we get started, because I feel like I know you already because we've interacted on social media. You're snarky. I'm kind of snarky. I'm like, this is really great. I'm like, so when I saw your work, I'm thinking, yeah, he got to be on the show. He has has to be on the show because there's there's too much indie buzz around this book that I that one I'm already stressed that I haven't read it by the time this show airs but by the time it airs I will have at least put a foothold in it and I am kind of more excited because I feel that one you have so much more to offer so I'm I'm happy to kind of get in on the indie author ground floor with you Thank you, thank you. That's very nice. Awesome. Looking forward to talking about it. Awesome. So, without further ado, can you tell me a little bit about your writing journey? What what provoked you, as it were, to start writing? Was it um, boredom? Did you always have a knack for words? What was it? I was always drawn to writing, you know, going back to, like, you know, public school and everything. Mm-hmm. I was very good in creative writing, imaginary writing and doing essays and like short stories just came natural to me awesome at a very very young age so when you say young i started writing at eight so it was right about maybe in there maybe third or fourth grade yeah definitely around there oh that too is awesome because again from the um writers that i that i know of personally and on social media it seems that um that age range of between eight and ten it's kind of where we all discover, like, hey, I'm really good at this. <laughs> like, hey, I'm like, hey, I'm good. I'm good at making, you know, making stuff up and writing it down, and people seem to like it. So I think I don't know if that's for everyone, but I know for the people that I know, that age of eight and ten seems to be the the turning on of the imagination, as it were. Yes, I was very encouraged by my teachers and peers, and. It was, you know, one step further to, you know, developing my actual craft mm-hmm. as I got older. Awesome. So how, 
in the synopsis that I've read for Calm Numbers, um, like I said, I'm already highly intrigued because I'm like, oh, this is this is dope because again, we're of a certain age where we were before, you know, uh, the the computer stole all the thunder from actually having to look up a book in the card catalog. But we you actually had, you actually had to tell your tell the librarian. I know for my school, you had to go tell tell the librarian what you were looking for. She gave you kind of like the stack to go through, but you couldn't go directly to the stack. You had to go to the big card catalog, this big um, credenza-shaped thing, and kind of thumb through, and then find the card that had the call numbers on it. Then she had to go get it. It was a whole process. Yeah, that's why I put that actually on the cover. Right. To people in. Right, which is why. The actual card catalog. Right, which is what, which is intrigued me about the book. I'm like, man, he he understands the struggle of trying to find literally one book and having to go through this whole barrage to try and get one book, trying to get one book. So what was the, other than school memories, what really was the motivation behind writing call numbers? Well, it all started off when I was actually blogging back in 2000. Pretty much like 2000, 2001, I was pretty much independent, moving out on my own in New York City mm-hmm. for the first time. And, you know, things were doing well for me. I was working in a nice, successful job. I was pretty much being outgoing, being social, because I was pretty much like, you know, a late bloomer when it came to like, you know, going out on dates and doing things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm 25 now and I'm just discovering myself. And I decided to just document the journey, you know, living alone for the first time, mm-hmm. in my own place and everything like that. Pretty much documenting everything that I was doing. And through that blog, I actually got a following. People were actually reading my post, mm-hmm. and pretty much interested in what I was doing at the time. Mm. And one of my followers, you know, pretty much admired my writing skill, my narrative. Yeah. She had called it a stream of consciousness. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. (laughs) But I took it as a compliment, and then I looked into it, so I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I actually got something here. So I was pretty much uh, inspired by my experience working for the library. It was my very first job outside of like summer jobs, you know, while I was a junior in high school, it was my very first part-time official job. And, you know, I used to put the books back on the shelves as a page. And then once I graduated from high school and started attending college full-time, I was still able to work at the library part-time as a clerk. Mm. And during the four years that I was there after that, I pretty much got a lot of work experience going through some very unique situations that I pretty much still remembered. And I said, you know, this would be a good story to tell. Hmm. I was pretty much inspired by the TV show The West Wing. Oh, really? Yep. And also the Kevin Smith movie, Clerks. (laughs) Those were my two big, like, you know, influences. So I pretty much gathered, I said, what if the ensemble cast of the West Wing all like left the White House and started working at the Library of Congress. Oh, wow. And that's where the whole concept came up with. You know, I figured they would be like little 
clashes, little like difference of opinions. There would be very philosophical discussions here and there. And that's pretty much how I came up with the old story. That actually is exceedingly dope. I, that that actually just has layers to it. Just from yes. how just from how my imagination goes, that is almost like a stream or a, set, a stream of particular stories or branches off the same. You actually almost have have a universe within within a book if you want to actually go back and you know branch off and and develop that more. Yeah. That is that is that is awesome. But you mentioned the you mentioned the West Wing and Clerks. That those <laughs> the, those genre that film and that genre of television couldn't couldn't be more couldn't be more diverse. So um, as far as your reading, does does your reading um, kind of does your do your reading interests kind of span the same gamut, or do you necessarily st- stick to one particular genre? Well, that's pretty much ironic, considering, you know, I'm writing about life experiences and doing um, literary, contemporary fiction and drama. I really don't read that much about it. I like mysteries. I like, um, you know, suspense thrillers. I'm a big fan of James Patterson's Alex Cross series. Mm-hmm. You know, people say I'm a little too obsessed with, like, serial killers <laughs> like him. <laughs> Um, I'm a big fan of Janet Ivanovich. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Plum, you know, um, Bounty Hunter series. Hmm. So, you know, I like into the mysteries and, like, you know, slapstick type comedies, but I pretty much am drawn to, like, writing. Here's part two of the Centel Smith interview here on the Writer's Block. Big fan of Janet Ivanovich. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Plum, you know, um, Bounty Hunter series. Hmm. So, you know, I'm like into the mysteries and like, you know, slapstick type comedies, but I pretty much and drawn to like writing serious life experience stories. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, one of the things that I've discovered since I've been embroiled in this writing community and the certain circles, especially genre specific that I've been graced to encounter and kind of enmesh myself with, what I've noticed is not everybody is bent toward the happily ever after. Not That's every true. not everybody is bent that way, you know. Not that we continue to to uh, harp on things that are that are quote unquote serious or or unhappy. But look at Jordan Peele. I mean, uh, he said in his article for Rolling Stone, and I actually ran out and bought <laughs> that particular copy of Rolling Stone just because he was on it. Uh, he says that you know even while he was doing the show Key and Peele, you know that was awesome but he still had this whole body of work on his laptop of stuff that was you know um horror specific or thriller specific so there so for every writer there is there is there is a genre and i think sometimes um for minority writers especially black writers we're not expected to necessarily write you know horror or mystery or any thriller or suspense we're just supposed to stay in this stay in this kind of 
um, lopsided box. Like we could only write about these things because that's more comfortable and more palatable, palatable for people. I totally agree. You know, not everybody is bent or geared toward the happily ever after. Um, you know, Tiffany um, from Big Black Chapters and I, we, we kid each other all the time about, you know, the, the Netflix show You. Because uh, it was a friend of mine who turned me on to it. And I'm like, this is... Because I've, I've, I've seen... I saw the show before I read the book. And so reading the book and going back to look at the show, how Caroline Kipnis did, did the book and how she was an executive producer on the show, you forget that Joe is killing people and then you start rooting for him to get the girl. It is the craziest, it's the craziest thing. <laughs> Cause you're like, wait a wait a minute, what? You 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 find yourself cheering cheering for the villain, and that kind of throws everything off kilter. Yeah, I like to do the same thing with my main character, Robin Walker, mm-hmm. in, the, in the book. A lot of people found him very, you know, incomprehensible at first, mm-hmm. but then they slowly start rooting and cheering for him after you know seeing what he goes through, walking in his shoes. Right, and I have to admit, you know, I'm not trying to make him too out there. You know, I still want people to, you know, understand where he's coming from without his like, you know, unique behavior. I pretty much categorize him as like, you know, an intelligent thug. <laughs> you know, he's smart, but he still like, you know, has these rough edges about him. Right, and then there are some people that read the book that you know couldn't really sympathize with him mm-hmm. because of the things he's doing. And like I said, there are some that, you know, they, like, you know, they're rooting for him, but they're still kind of appalled by him. And in a way, that's good. You know, I'm trying to shoot for that dark character mm-hmm. in the lines of Gregory House or, you know, Sterling Archer from the animated spy series Archer. You yeah. know, these people, they had their ways, but you're still rooting for them despite all their, you know, personality flaws. Right. And I think sometimes that those are the best characters that they're not just so easily digested. You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not just, you know, they're not just this, uh, this cookie cutter pro tag or this cookie cutter antag. Like you, like, I love characters. I love a book that makes me think. Like with the book, you you made me think because I, I you're literally looking at Joseph Goldberg and not to ruin the book for for listeners, but you look at Joe Goldberg and he's literally like this this book manager. You know nothing real nondescript about him. You know uh, Carolyn Kip just doesn't really describe if he's like short, tall, fat, or whatever. He she just tells you who Joe is and what his job is, and you kind of construct his uh, physique from there. But the thing that draws you in with Joe is that he is so incredibly intelligent, but he has no academic backing for that. He did, he didn't graduate. He I think he in the book he dropped out of high school or he or he barely graduated high school. So then you he works at a bookstore. He's like incredibly well read and he got his intelligence from you know the school of hard knocks. So there are all there are these levels to him, and then clearly that there's, there's this dark side to him that that. As the book progresses, how Carolyn Kipp just styled it, you almost forget that you know that he had actually done some dastardly stuff. So I I like when characters are not 
so upfront. I think a, I think it helps a book when you re, when you are drawn in gradually, and then the story kind of sweeps you away with it. So the yeah. fact the fact that you say that you know your protag is an intelligent thug, even in um, you know, in waking everyday life, we know people like that. You know, we know people like, um, let's say, for example, um, like Frank Lucas, for example. Um, we know that he was doing dastardly stuff in Harlem. But if you said, but in the movie American Gangster, when Denzel Washington was portraying him, you saw that even though Frank didn't, quote unquote, have traditional education, you knew Frank was brilliant. Right. Because how else can you, how else can you, can you, uh, man and cre- create an empire when you really have like a second grade education. So there's there there are levels there are levels to character development that intrigue and should perplex and should encourage the reader to find out more about the more about the person that they're reading about more about the story that they're <clears throat> that they're engaged with. I love work that makes you think and call numbers. I can I'm already seeing is going to make me think. So I'm already a fan. <laughs> I'm already a fan. Um, so I know that most writers have a unique process as to how they write books. Do you have one? I do. I do. It usually just starts with an idea. I just come up with just something that I would say sounds unique. You know, I'm always striving to write unique situations or unique stories in unique settings. Mm-hmm. Something that you've never even thought of hearing about before. You know, because there are books out there that take place in the library, whether right. they be mysteries mm-hmm. or suspense or even erotica, but nothing quite like this. Nothing with an ensemble cast, you know, where you're going behind the scenes of all the employees, like, you know, going through the workplace drama. You know, I don't believe anything like this has ever been written. Right. So I like to think that it stands out on its own. So that was the thought process, you know. I came up with the idea, the concept. I pretty much did an outline. I did some storylining, thinking of like, you know, subplots mm-hmm. and like the actual, you know, point A to point B. And then I really just started, you know, character developing. I came up with all these unique details and like descriptions. And like you know, ideas of what I want each character to look like, mm-hmm. how they act, you know, pretty much down to the narrowest detail. And I always strive for diversity. You know, mm-hmm. you'll notice that call numbers is very diverse. You're dealing with Native Americans, you're dealing with African Americans, you're dealing with Hispanics, you're dealing with Jewish. You know, it really pretty much it's pretty much like a melting pot reflection of New York. Right. And so I'll, once I got that, once I got all the characters and details, I just pretty much just start writing. Hmm. And I love that you brought up diversity. I I like that you have created a work where people who aren't just black will read it. Right. I like that you've incorporated elements of New York that we all, you know, I'm I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm used to seeing you know uh, pockets of different of different people. You know, because, you know, I grew up in St. Louis, which is one of the biggest cities in Missouri. So I'm used to seeing people of all of all shapes and sizes but and uh, ethnic backgrounds. But it's nothing like I've been taught and seen that New York is. There's nothing like that. So I like that you create a work where people can it, people can actually see themselves or see where they grew up 
within a body of work. That is always dope. That yes. is always dope. I, I really tell people that the book really takes you back to that time, to that city. Mm. Now, I really throw in all the details there. They're pretty much authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, I did use some dramatic license here and there and kind of embellished on some of the details. Someone will probably be like able to nitpick through something, be like, okay, they didn't happen like that or whatever. But I'm like, it's, you know, it's a novel. It's not an autobiography or anything like that. Right. I'm allowed to uh, embellish a little bit or just <laughs> stretch things. Right. And that's right what history you... per se. And that's what writers do. We embellish. So it's, it's a, it's so it's okay. There's enough truth in it for, to keep you interested. Interested. So if we embellish yeah. a little, if we embellish a little bit, little flourish here, little over exaggerated detail there, it's okay. That's part. That's part of the job description. Right. Because I want people to read this and not think that it actually happened. It's completely fiction. <laughs> it's based on my work experiences, but I would say eighty percent of it is fiction. Twenty percent of it really happened. Awesome. And speaking. You know, and speaking of jobs and hobbies and experiences, when did you decide that writing was going to be something that you wanted to pursue? I know that you talked about that you were blogging for a time and that blogging kind of grew into writing, but when did you decide that, you know what, yo, I like, I like blogging, but you know, I like the pace of, you know, scheduling and posting and responding to people who, you know, who now are, you know, your people, your following and your tribe. But when did you think that or decide that writing was something that you wanted to do? A writer was someone you wanted to become? I think it was when I revisited the project after shoving it for like 10 years. Oh, wow. Right, yeah. I originally came up with the concept as a television proposal. Mm -hmm. I really wanted it to be a TV show. And I learned how the whole process works. They had to come out with a treatment. You have to write a pilot script mm-hmm. and, like, you know, really shop it out there. And that's what I did back in 2004. You know, that was, like, the real start of the whole process. But then after, like, entering it in a couple, like, screenwriting contests and here and there, mm-hmm. you know, I pretty much <clears throat> sat on the project. I said, okay, I'm going to put it on the shelf for a while, but I, I'll come back to it. I'll revisit it. And it wasn't until 10 years later, 2014, five years ago, oh, wow. that I, you know, I came back to it. I said, you know what? Rather than actually putting this on TV, let me try to make a novel series out of it. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I turned the pilot into like, you know, a novella. And then I pretty much extended it from there on. And I said, you know what? I want to make this into a full book. I want to use the rest of those scripts and just come up with a very elaborate storyline with some, you know, arcs for each character here and there and make it into a full book. And, you know, over the process of five years, that's when I decided, you know, I really want to make this happen. Here's part three of the Cynthia Smith interview here on the Writer's Block.
Wow. So what you're so what you're slick telling me is that maybe call numbers may have branches or the potential to become something else. Possibly. Oh, okay. So definitely, um, we at the Writers Block will definitely keep our our ears open open for that because I'm all, I'm all for it. Like I said, I'm just waiting. To dive into this, cause I'm like, if it's as if it's as dope as I know it's going to be, that's it. I'm I too I too will be a fan more so than I already am. But <clears throat> the one thing that I'm thinking of, as you know, we've talked as we've uh, spoken about in the course of this conversation, especially since by the time this airs, the world will still be mourning the loss of Toni Morrison. <clears throat> yes, unfortunately. Um, it it is it it really is uh one of the things that she talked she has many many quotes about writing and being a uh, black writer being a black woman writer and uh just you know the process of writing in general um one of the one of the quotes that i've seen uh all day today was uh we die which is what we do but she talked about language and language may be the best way to serve our lives or how language is what we do to define it. Uh, but the one thing I want to ask you is what do you, or how do you define success as a writer? Well, for me personally, it's not about money. Mm. If you're trying to write and publish for money, I feel, you know, you're not really doing it correctly. You know, money is sort of like, you know, an after effect or a side effect of what you're doing. If you're writing and you're appreciating it and you're enjoying it and you're loving it, you know, the money will come. So for me, success is just really based on recognition, being identified and have a pretty much a group of peers that like, you know, know your work and respect it and, you know, have a following. Right. That's the real definition of success to me. You know, to say that this person was a storyteller, you know, he was a kind man, he could tell a story, and he always cared about his fellow people. Mm. I'm always believing in helping others, you know, that are going through the same thing that I'm going through now. And that's why I like the Facebook group so much, you know. I had been in other Facebook groups before, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the snark novel within those peers was real high. And I can, like, you know, be snarky myself and everything. But, you know, I wasn't trying to cut people down. I was really trying to push them up and boost them up. And, you know, get to the point where I can even, like, reach out and actually save them, you know, if they felt lost. You know, and I think that it's so important for writers to have that safe space, to have that space to both be snarky and to be supported. Yes. I think that's essential. And I also think that especially for um, our, for black men who write, I think it's doubly important for y'all to have a space where you can literally be creative because the society at large doesn't expect that. You know, it doesn't expect, you know, black men to be creative in that way. You know, there's always, you know, the fashion There's always, you know, athleticism or, you know, 
whatever feats of strength and even to a certain extent you know academia we can deal with that you know we can deal with the smart black dude we can deal with the fashionable black dude but the, but the creative black dude the dude that likes to write books mm, don't know about that one so I think so I think it's uh essential that black men especially who black men who write have that support as well I think that's a, I personally think that's essential yes I definitely agree because, you know, y'all need support and shine and shine, too. And there needs to be, you know, that that sense that being being creative and being black and being male is too OK. That's still a part of the diaspora of us as a people. I think that definitely needs to be shouted more and that support system still be in place on social media. I really I really, truly do. But. We know we talked a lot about call numbers. We talked about your blog, and uh, are you are you still blogging? Is there is there still an address for or a site or I, platform? I stopped for a while, but I actually feel like I want to return to it. I want to actually either start blogging or even like get into like um, podcasting you hmm. know, since that seems to be the thing. You know, I have a webcam myself, and you know, I gotta get more comfortable of speaking in front of the camera per se. But, you know, I definitely want to share my new life experiences within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I relocated from New York to Detroit. I got married. I had to settle in living in a very different city that, you know, it took a while to get used to. And I have a whole lot of experiences I want to share with people about that whole fish out of water type, you know, story that pretty much happens to anybody who, like, you know, just ups and pick up mm-hmm. to move to somewhere else. So I do want to get back into it. My previous blog, um, blog from 2004 was called Wasting Time with Jet. I believe it's still in um, Blogger. I think it still has um, public access. Mm-hmm. People can still read the old posts from back then and see what I was talking about at the time. Uh, my Blogger ID back then was Jet Black. 825. Okay. So wasting time with Jet. Yeah. I was a big fan of Cowboy Bebop back in the day. (laughs) Oh, so so you're a blurred also? Yes. This is amazing. I'm like, no no wonder you're you're a kinsman. Okay, I see you. I see you. I see you, sir. I see you. That is awesome. That, That, again, plays into why I'm so hyped about reading this book. Cause I'm like, they're like, no, there's some, there's some stuff about him. I gotta know. I'm like, no, he, he, there's some, there's some blurredness there. Let me, let me see if I can draw it out. <laughs> so, um, what is the best advice you have been given as a writer? Well, once I started trying to go into the traditional publishing path mm-hmm. of like, you know, querying agents and everything like that, finding representation so I can actually be uh, able to approach actual publishing companies and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I went through a lot of rejections and I got frustrated. And someone told me, you know, you're going to deal with that. You're going to always get that door slammed in your face. So someone told me to just get used to it and just keep on knocking on doors. You know, mm. when someone slams the door on your face, they, a window opens somewhere else. 
So that, I thought that was very good advice because there have been times where I really just wanted to, like, you know, stop what I was doing again, hang up the project, or just pretty much give up. You know, I didn't think anybody was going to be able to read it. I didn't think, you know, it would take off. But, you know, that's just self-doubt. And self-doubt is always going to creep up in your head. Right. But, you know, that advice that someone told me about, you know, letting the door slam in your face and just, you know, prepare for it, I thought that was very good advice. You know, and I, I think that that piece of advice that you that you have just given to the listening audience, I think that that level of honesty is not given to writers. And I think that fear of rejection causes a lot of novice writers or even bloggers who want to change over, as it were, or expand toward, you know, traditional writing and, you know, book publishing. I think that scares them off that, you know, somebody might not read. Now, here's part four of the Sinclair Smith interview here on the Writer's Block. My stuff, you know, somebody may give me a rejection letter. I think that fear of self-rejection, well, well self-rejection as well as professional rejection stops a lot of writers from going forward. And and if you allow that fear of rejection to basically paralyze you, you'll never write anything. Right. Um, There's so many untold stories out there. Right. That never get told because, you know, of fear. Yeah, because somebody thought that nobody would read it. Um, Nikki Giovanni says it like this. Well, two quotes. One, she said, you know you're a writer because you... You know, you can't stop writing. You're always writing. The second is, if you write like somebody is watching you, you'll never write anything. So those, you know, those two pieces of wisdom from Nikki Giovanni keep me at, keep me at these keys, you know, because if I can't allow myself to be paralyzed by what somebody might say, and I think with the advent of platforms like podcasting and like blogging, your work finds an audience that it may not have found in a traditional route. So that is that too is a level of success, I think. So what is the best advice that you think budding writers should have or that you want to give? I always say, you know, stick to your gut. I always say, um, keep going, never give up. I like to always tell people, you know, never conform. Don't change your story for the audience. Just try to find the right audience that will appreciate the story as it is. That's always been my best advice to people. Because a lot of people like to change things up to go for the mainstream audience. And I'm like, why? (laughs) You know, I mean, mainstream will probably bring some success. But, you know... It, like, pretty much, the price of it will pretty much be, like, a piece of your soul. Mm. And you should always keep your soul, you know, intact, you know. If someone doesn't agree with whatever the story is, they're not the audience you're looking for. Right. Find your audience and, you know, the story will prosper. That's always the advice I give to people. And, and again, I, just the fact that you are just so forthcoming with that level of honesty, I think is refreshing. 
Because again, most people want to, you know, out just straight out the gate, I'm going to have, you know, a New York Times best-selling, best-selling book. And sometimes that happens for people, but, 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 uh, but sometimes, you know, you have, you have to grind for this shine. You know, you, you may have to sell the books out, out of the back of your trunk or, you know, give a few away or do what, or, you know, go the non-traditional route to even get some level of notice. And sometimes it is very tempting to say, you know what, let me just tone this down. Let me change this scene. Let me go back in and fix this so it'll be more palatable. But if you do that, then it's not the same story. Right. So it's like, do you necessarily want to change the story for the sake of attention? Or do you want to, as you said, keep your soul and keep the integrity of the work? And, uh, you know, even... um, I think it was Stephen King who said this, that, you know, even with publishing as it is now, it's not like it was 40 some odd years ago when he published Carrie. You know, there, there, the, the playing field is so crowded now and say, you know what, I'm, I'm lovely. Let me go ahead and just submit this, this manuscript to, let's just say, uh, Simon and Schuster with no agent. And, you know, the, the running uh, information that I have is if you're going to do query letters, you're going to have to send out at least 50 before you get some, before you actually maybe get a yes. So it's easy to say, you know what, let me just change the story up. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, tools in Amazon and, you know, thank God for that self-publishing. Because I think a lot of people wouldn't be seen without that. That is true. So I, I think there are a lot of people, if there, if there weren't places like, I think, and Lulu does the same thing, that if people really believe in their story, they have a place to write it. And, you know, bless God, if you literally have like 10 people see it, that's 10 people that see it. But if the right person sees it, you don't know what would happen. But you have to be confident in the story that you're writing. But that's another, that's another podcast episode. <laughs> but before before we get off, for this particular program this evening where can we find more of your work is there any other thing is are there new things happening are there any projects that you need shine for how can the writer's block support you and what you're about to get into well without giving away the ending a second book for call numbers is due out next year yes so there's that I'm also working on two um, two standalone novels that I'm developing as of now that will probably be released after book two because I just don't want to be known as the library guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I want to let people know that I can write about other things. Right. And those two um, standalone novels are very drastic and unique compared to what Call Numbers is about. Mm. So, so, you know, I'm planning on branching out there. I might try to actually, like, you know, dip my water into science fiction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to get more confident in myself before doing that. You know what? I have ideas. I have projects out there. That's that's fair. That's fair. And where can the readers... Where, yeah, readers. Where can the readers, the tribe that follows the writer's block, where can we find you on social media? Right. I love writing and putting out snippets here and there on my Tumblr. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I also have my Facebook page, you know, 10 Times Round, the Collective Works of Sentel Smith. That's very easy to find. My Tumblr is Never Fear Smith is Writing. <laughs> um, you know, it's sort of like a Lost in Space uh, joke. Um, I was on Medium and other writing communities, but, you know, they really didn't take off that much. I was on uh, Wattpad as well for a while. Mm hmm. But, you know, not that many people were interested in reading call numbers on Wattpad because that's pretty much for, like, you know, YA and sci-fi and sometimes, you know, fantasy and mysteries and stuff like that. You know, contemporary fiction is very hard to put out there. But I have some works out there. You know, Google's your friend. And, right. you know, pretty much any of my writings are very easy to find. Well, that is awesome. It has been a joy to speak to you this evening. I am looking forward to call numbers. And also, I will keep my ears open for its sequel yes. next year. I next am look- year. I am looking forward to that. So make sure that when that release date comes, when that release date comes through, that you let us know so we can also give you shine for that. I definitely will. Thank you very much. All I'm right. so I- thankful for you having me it, again th- this this was a joy this this truly this truly was so just know just know fair listeners scribes troublemakers and fellow storytellers that we have not i believe heard the last of mr Sintel smith on the writer's block The time has come again for me to leave you with your words, drafts, and thoughts. Be encouraged and keep writing. Special thanks to Valor Music LLC for all audio engineering and its production for this podcast. If you are a blogger, indie author, host a platform that supports indie authors, or have a project or book that you'd like to promote, reach out to us. Send us an email at circlethewritersblock, all one word, at gmail.com. Remember, if you can think it up, you can write it down. See y'all next time when we circle the block.